1: This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 154. This week, cookery writer Adam spends a day in the East Sussex countryside with Nick Weston of Hunter Gather Cook, learning some back to nature skills. They have an in-depth chat about why cooking over fire, hunting, and butchery have become popular again. And Nick gives us some great foraging tips, including when the best time of year is for gathering wild grub.
0: Uh, Hey, guys. Uh, I am actually in the forest in Sussex with Nick Weston, whos hunter, gather Hunt-A-Gather-Kick. Cook, even, sorry. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Uh, I have just had a smoked, Applewood-smoked... Whiskey uh, Sour. Whiskey Sour, so uh, please uh, forgive me if we uh, slow our words slightly. Uh, Only joking, of course. Um... So you're just releasing your uh, cookbook, um, which sort of details everything that you guys do down here. Um, I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about how you got uh, started, really.
2: Um, so the way that Hunter Gather Cook started, I mean, it's, it's grown incredibly organically. I think I started about eight years ago and it was kind of after having lived in a treehouse for about seven months uh, and living off the land and having a small veg patch and just cooking with fire. So it's sort of... Um, it was one of those things that I think I had a few people ask me about whether I actually kind of taught people this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was kind of then I suppose the seed was planted and I was like, actually, maybe I could make something of this. Um, uh, and so sort of with my background in cooking, it was kind of, it, it, it started off being quite, you know, there was quite a lot of elements in bushcraft, uh, of bushcraft to begin with, but then, uh, it, became very food focused very quickly so yeah. it's about kind of getting people hands on butchering game birds rabbits um deer uh obviously bringing the foraged element teaching them about that mm-hmm. um and then uh showing them kind of how to cook over fire different fire cookery techniques and then bring it all together on the plate
0: yeah and um, so just as a little recap um nick uh, basically has a big tree house in the uh forest and uh he teaches people um how to uh forage how to gut skin breakdown uh animal like game birds like wild food um and then he and him and his team cook it very deliciously for everyone and for me like i've just eaten
2: so yeah i mean that's thing that the team are definitely a core part of the whole thing i mean we're we're very lucky that to be cooking in an environment like this um so it's actually quite easy we to actually get chefs coming in from all sorts of places we've had people from river cottage we had people from Noma, we have people from, um, French, uh, was it, um, quality chop house, all these different kind of nice London restaurants. Um, and I mean, that's the thing. We, we only actually employ chefs because then, uh, we can teach them everything else, but mm-hmm. teaching people how to cook from scratch can be a bit challenging. So yeah. having, having guys that know what they're doing straight away, mm-hmm. uh, makes life easier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like, what, wh- what what do you think has made that trend of, like, getting outdoors and wanting to learn more about all these things? Like, why do you think that is, has become so popular recently?
2: Um, I think I think people just – I mean, that's the thing. Nowadays, people really kind of want – rather than stuff, they want experiences. They want to kind of learn about things and do different things. And I think uh, a lot of people kind of – with this, I mean, because it's very kind of experiential, it's course-based – they're obviously learning, taking away skills and knowledge that they can then use, um, uh, obviously on, on their own at home or when they're out and about. But I think it's that kind of, I mean, I, I don't massively like the term reconnecting with nature, mm. but to a certain degree, uh, I, I think that's kind of what it is. I think people, you know, to get out in an environment that they're not used to and, and spend the day in it and doing stuff in it is... is is really good
0: yeah i think it's uh, someone was talking earlier about like sort of slowing down and hmm. uh, like in our life we kind of you know you can get an amazon package like the next day or whatever yeah. you know and like everything's a click of a button and this is kind of you know it's it's, it's just like repressing the reset button almost like hmm. you, everyone's got their phones and it's taking like amazing pictures but a lot of it is like uh primitive almost like you know we've been doing it for thousands of years and I think there's like there is like a something really nice about that.
2: Yeah no I think definitely I think uh I mean down here you kind of reception disappears pretty quickly. Um but you find that in summer as soon as the leaves come on the trees, you know, 3G goes. Yeah. Um, some of the guys in the kitchen get like oh I can't Instagram that it doesn't <laughs> work. I was like, do it when you get home. Yeah, yeah surely um, just,
0: just wait and do it later. <laughs>
2: exactly. Um but no I think it's nice for people as well. I mean but it, it's funny you get people on courses they're like oh, I haven't got any reception. It's just like, that's a good thing. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's nice to kind of not have to worry about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think for me, certainly, it's probably not great for business, but when I'm d- working down here during the week, you know, you kind of, you get an email and you get a second email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then a third email and you're like, oh, okay, probably should respond to that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, that's the nature of what we do. You know, we're not we're not office-based.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and everything you do here is like highly seasonal, isn't it? So, um I was just wondering what your favourite season is, or what like do you have like, a season that you really look forward to, or like wild garlic coming into season, or any of those.
2: Um, I I do I do really look forward to truffle season because mm. um, obviously B um, my little dog she's a truffle dog and it's it's one of those things that it is like finding buried treasure and certainly when you get into truffle hunting picking nettles never going to have the same joy about it <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely not. So, so yeah, I think, I think I do like beginning of August when truffle season kicks in is always quite good. Um, but I, they're all the same really. I mean, you, cause you get different things coming at different points and every season brings its own like bounty of, of new stuff and mm. you kind of really look forward to that time when something you haven't used for a while, um, you know, comes back in. I mean, even today, you know, cooking the pheasant bird lollies, obviously you know they were from you know frozen down in january Mm -hmm. so we haven't done it for a while but you know the guys in the kitchen are like oh it's cooking with pheasant yeah Um, yeah yeah. so you always do look forward to those things coming back in and um i certainly with game season that is a big one for us so Mm -hmm. um so yeah we always look forward to first of september when the first partridge come in it's great
0: yeah yeah Um, and do you do much shooting and uh hunting yourself
2: not as much as i used to (laughs) um uh, I think that's the thing when you turn something that's kind of like your hobbies into a business um, mm. you kind of start off being like oh yeah uh, I'm gonna be able to do loads of this but uh, as it's got busier and busier um, and there's more stuff to do um, not as much but I mean I think for me my kind of real passion is fly fishing so I I tend to go and do that if I do get the chance um, uh, and it means you don't have to get up crack of dawn like you do with deer stalking. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. When I get the chance, I do definitely.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, if like if, if someone was to buy your book, how would be the best way to get a little bit more hunt together cook? Like, what would be a really like intro way of of just reconnecting a little bit or utilising something that's around you?
2: Well, I think I mean uh, the first thing really is I mean the first two things definitely fire cookery and then obviously the foraging those are the most kind of accessible bits of it um i mean with a lot of the things that are in the book it's not like we're kind of reinventing the wheel um there are a lot of old tried and tested techniques uh things that we've learned throughout the years um but i think it's uh even in your back garden you don't have to have a barbecue you can just dig up a square of turf um and have a little fire put some bricks down i mean at home i have a plethora of ridiculous barbecues uh i don't use them all that much yeah. um, it's just mainly through uh different brands we've worked with um they always give you those nice wish lists um but my favorite way of cooking is just to have like a, a little square turf with a few bricks and a grill and just cook stuff up in the garden um but obviously the foraging is a really kind of something you can jump into straight away mm-hmm. you can forage in kind of in parks and towns you don't have to be out in the middle of the countryside um so i think those two definitely but i think for us the whole thing with the but is the butchery guys. I think are really key because we kind of one of the things we're really passionate about is getting people into eating more game and using it more, um, uh, especially with deer, which is something that we kind mm. of specialise in.
0: And it, is there a reason why we should, why, why should we should be eating more deer?
2: Um, I think. I mean, first of all, it's a very healthy meat. It's mm, very it's very lean. It's very isn't it? lean. Um, uh, quite often, you have a, a lower inflammatory response to something like deer, which has had a wildlife uh, as opposed to kind of other other types of meat, kind of like your lamb and your beef. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's it's a very kind of um, and I mean it's free range, it's wild, it's eaten a lot of the wild plants that we actually pair with it on the plate. Um, but I think as well, I mean, just from the sort of from a monetary perspective game isn't expensive right like if you go straight to source you can be paying about a quid for a pheasant yeah. um if you know how to process it you can fill your boots and your freezer
0: like you were saying earlier we, we broke down a whole. Uh, basically we we skinned um and then uh, broke down into muscle groups uh, like a whole deer you're saying that a whole that whole deer cost 40 pounds yeah. but both fillets well, like a fillet would be 50 pounds each. So basically one small muscle, well, one muscle from the animal costs 50 pounds and the whole animal, if you, if you knew what to do with it, would be 40 pounds.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. The, the return you can get from buying, I mean, uh, a whole fallow deer, you'd be looking at around about probably between 70 to 90 quid for something that's about 25 to 28 kilos. Mm. So you imagine the amount of meat you're going to get off that Um, and then if you're you're using bones for stock, you're mincing it up, you can really actually get a hell of a lot of value um, from from something that um, actually doesn't cost you that much money. Um, I think we had a group from Waitrose down once that I think the packaging team, and they did deer butchery, and I checked in Waitrose how much deer was per kilo. I think it was something like 22 pounds a kilo. So that deer uh, for them, I think by weight, I figured out it would have cost 900 pounds if it came from waitrose
0: <laughs> um other supermarkets are available just to uh, yeah, yeah we're not the bbc back um, <laughs> and we talked a lot about meat but i was wondering whether you could talk about how important uh, like the herbs and the vegetables and all those so more like the gather element of to gather cook
2: um yeah i mean f- for me it's not all about meat um uh yeah vegetables play just as much as a role as do kind of the wild plants we use they're all kind of equal um i just uh, i'm a firm believer in meat and two veg um uh i think it's nice to have all of those things come together i mean the way that a lot of our dishes work is that we start with what's in season in terms of game um and then we kind of see what else kind of veggies in season and wild plants Mm -hmm. um so we're very we work very tightly with seasons i think more so than Uh, most restaurants would um, because I mean we're we're actually out there we're foraging everything ourselves not necessarily hunting everything ourselves um, but I mean you know the the kind of uh, planning for a a course and using kind of different ferment stuff like that you know that starts maybe a week or two before the actual course starts Mm -hmm. so um, yeah it's I think the the role of sort of foraging um, uh, in what we do is a large part of it. Um, for me I do really enjoy the butchery element of it and teaching people that but um, but I think yeah the different things you can do with veg from fermenting it to and even wild plants fermenting it pickling it um, drying it all these different things I think I really play a key role I think in what we do down here.
0: And yeah for me it was like really cool to see how much how many edible plants are available to us it's just knowing or tapping into like knowing what they are or you know yeah, they are they are pretty much everywhere um we just you just need to be able to look out for the right ones
2: that's the thing i think once you well i think like you said earlier on one with the three corner leak once you've seen it and you know what it is you then start seeing it everywhere yeah um and i mean that's the thing to kind of look at you know the the woods fields and meadows as a kind of supermarket in that sense um yeah, you could. you're just walking down the aisles going, oh, have some bit of, that. That. Yeah, have yeah. A bit of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we went and picked like a whole bunch of salad leaves earlier, mm. um, which was for our lunch, which was really cool. So we collected like sorrel, three-cornered leek, yarrow. Um, yeah. And they're all delicious in their own right, but added together into a salad. It was like this herbal, sour, like everything had mm. their own little characteristic.
2: That's the thing. So, I mean, you yeah, know, even with like a forage salad, you know, you've got kind of, you've got big flavors in there um you know that have like you say their own characteristics um uh, and i think you know, they're more exciting than your standard salad leaf that you might buy um but you know we're not completely kind of uh we're not so kind of tied to, to just like a fully foraged meal obviously we want to bring in more common ingredients from a larder or uh, perspective or obviously from from veg and things like that and fruit so it's um it's quite nice to then kind of pair those things with wild plants as well
0: and you also lived in your treehouse for seven months.
2: Yeah, that was uh, back in 2009, I think, um, which was kind of just something I wanted to do for myself. Um, mm-hmm. It did then become a book called The Treehouse Diaries, I think which was published in 2010. Uh, so doing the cookbook wasn't my first rodeo, but yeah. it was um, definitely more challenging, uh, I think, doing a cookbook. Um I do find it quite hard with the writing perspective because it's um I'm quite dyslexic, but um uh but yeah, so that was a little bit, bit of a struggle. But yeah. um uh but yeah, I think yeah, the with the treehouse it was kind of it was the precursor to this. So it f- kind of formed the ethos and the basis and uh understanding of what we now do. Um so to I think turn I think an experience like that into something that you can share with other people yeah. um and obviously teach them stuff as well, uh, is a really nice thing. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that when I did live in that treehouse for a month, it's not it's not one of those things I sat on the balcony going, Oh, in like ten years' time I'll have a foraging cookery school, mm. uh, where we'll do all these different things. Um and uh and you know, be having a second sight and things. So it's kind of it's one of those things you know it's quite nice to not necessarily know what's going to happen, but just let things shape themselves and yeah. uh, and grow naturally,
0: yeah, and how much did you have to teach yourself um during that time, or did uh, you have like some basis of knowledge and it was like, or was it basically just learning like, um, seven months of just making it up? was
2: kind of seven months of learning it was quite a steep learning curve because i mean I, I did have a good i mean I, I've always done a lot of hunting and fishing, so I was kind of quite confident in my ability to provide myself with those things Mm. um but yeah the foraging I had quite a good basic level of knowledge I knew quite a few plants and what I could eat but throughout that whole uh seven months you know you're kind of you're relying on these wild plants or wild food to actually sustain you so um you quickly learn to identify things and you do a lot of research um lot of tasting and playing mm-hmm. around with different plants. So it's sort of very much, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an education I think definitely. Um, but a very valuable one. Uh, I think especially considering what we do now. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was quite hard work.
0: Yeah. No, I can imagine it would be. Um, did you eat anything that you shouldn't have done or uh, were you, did you have your guidebook out checking everything before you?
2: No, I think I did. I think the only thing I did find was, uh, some books aren't always accurate when Mm. it comes to like referencing. Uh, and there's one mushroom book, which I won't name (laughs) that had a picture of, uh, a tawny grisette, um, uh, instead of a, I think death cap. So they'd put this picture of this edible mushroom for death cap. So that straight away, because of that one mistake, maybe go, I don't know if I'm going to eat this tawny grisette, which I'm pretty sure it is because (laughs) of that. So it's one, you know, a healthy sense of caution is always important. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I think, yeah, uh, if that's, that's the kind of general, if you're not 100% sure, just don't bother eating it. Um, I think as a wise man said, everything is edible once.
0: Yes, quite right. I think on that wise words I think we'll end uh, our little chat but um, thank you very much for uh, joining me thanks very much for having me down for the day I've had a really really Mm, great day genuinely
2: thank you for coming it's been been
1: good having you and and definitely had the weather for it
0: yeah we definitely did it is beautiful out here anyway thanks guys
1: brilliant cheers so that was the Olive Magazine podcast if you like this episode please head over to iTunes and leave a review we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode you can visit our website olivemagazine.com you can pick up a copy of on may issue now on the newsstand or go and download the app version bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat